90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I can't complain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we going to talk about then? <laughs> I, I know. No, it's been a it's been a really good, uh, pretty busy time for us. We've got a couple of projects that are going pretty strong right now. Uh, a lot of things happening in the shop, and generally, at least for us. Right about Thanksgiving, we hit a little bit of a lull. I mean, we're we're still backed up with jobs, mm-hmm. but we hit a kind of a we not don't hear from anybody lull. Yeah. And then when everybody goes on Christmas vacation, mm. when we would like to go on Christmas vacation, we get absolutely slammed. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So you're not hearing from anybody right now because we're all grading our midterms, and then. <laughs> Once we don't have students and we sit down at our desk at Christmas vacation, that's when you'll get all of our emails. <laughs> exactly. Um, I will tell you that I'm like cleaning up and completely remodeling my lab. So you're totally going to get emails from me come Christmas time. <laughs> and I will say we will happily answer your support requests next year. <laughs> oh, of course you will. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how it's going. I will say, you know, our super boring old person weather banter is so different now that you live to the east of me as opposed to a day west of me. <laughs> yeah, you get to tell me what's coming. I know. It's so weird. Yeah, because we just had a big storm, which was um, the Norman Storm Suppression Zone, which is what we always called it, was in full force, um, which means like we all think that because there's such a high a high concentration of meteorologists in Norman. We never get like cool weather in Norman. (laughs) And yeah, that's exactly what it was. Huge line of awesome weather to our North, huge line to our South. And I think we got, I don't know, trace precipitation here. (laughs) So it's moving this way. And there's a tornado warning uh, over Catoosa right now. (gasps) Oh goodness. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Um, considering my parents live right there. So Huh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's east of Catoosa proper, so well, it's already that's... moved through. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> yeah. So that's what you're going to look forward to. And we should probably get this recorded before the thunder starts. <laughs> it's, it's true <laughs> before the thunder starts and then, <laughs> you know, got to go do all the, all the errands and things. Yep. Yep. That's how it goes. So... I thought that today, because I've been cleaning out my lab, and also because I'm teaching a new class in the spring, not a new class for OU, but a new class for me, so I'm teaching sedimentary petrology, which is super exciting, one of my favorite classes, Um, and I'm teaching that in the spring, so my student and I are getting everything ready, and I thought that we would revisit some stuff about said rocks today. No. (laughs) Yeah, you're so far removed from it, too, now. It's hilarious to me that now, yeah. (laughs) I mean, so these are rocks, you said. (laughs) Yes. Like those things, you know, that all your instruments are always trying to find out stuff about. (laughs) See, I don't know. We've been doing a lot of ice. (laughs) 
<laughs> Ice is a mineral, John. <laughs> Ooh, wow. How the tables have turned on that one. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe we shouldn't record tonight. <laughs> I swear I haven't drank anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so said rocks. So, said rocks are pieces of real rock that are stuck together by other things that rocks are made of. Uh-huh. Pieces of real rock, exactly. And so we did our deep dives into pore space and porosity, and we've done deep dives into other parts of sedimentary rocks. And I thought today we would talk about, very specifically, what some of the most common types of cement are in a sedimentary rock, specifically in a clastic sedimentary rock. Um, Because when we classify rocks if you'll remember from our two-part classification episode, we actually don't look at cement. So something can have the same official geologic name, but can look a lot different based on what's holding those little pieces of other rocks together. And I thought we'd just go over four or five really common ones that you would see if you picked up a said rock and were taking a look at it. Yeah, and it really blows my mind that just based on size and composition of the clasts, we classify and we totally ignore what's actually making it a rock and not gravel. (laughs) I know, Um, (laughs) which if you want to go by percentage, right, like the cement is the lesser percentage of what's making up that rock. This is true, but it can vary drastically based on where the rock's from. Yes, exactly. So cement, I mean, when we look at what it is, like you just describe what that cement is, like what's holding it together, but it can also tell us a lot about the environment in which it formed. So when I'm describing these, I'm sort of just describing, say, a quartz sandstone. So if you imagine little sand grains like you would pick up at a beach and we're going to glue those together, all of these will still be classified as like a quartz aronite or a subarcos sandstone, your local beach generally, uh, or your local lake that has beach sand brought in (laughs) if you just glue those together. So they still have the same folk classification scheme and you can go back and listen to that episode if you want to learn more about that. Um, so I'm talking about like a subarcos. So if you look at it under a micro, not a microscope, and just a hand lens, so just a magnifying glass, you're going to see little round grains of sand. Most of them are going to be quartz, so they're going to be clear or milky, and maybe a few of them are feldspars, so they're sort of milky or darkish gray in color. And we're going to glue them together. All right. So what are we going to glue them together with? Okay. <laughs> Let's glue them together first with themselves. <laughs> so, okay, so that'd be quartz with quartz, so silica. Yes, exactly right. So quartz sandstone with quartz cement. The way I described it is still subarcos, but the quartz cement is very interesting. And there's a lot of different ways that we figure out what types of cement are in these plastic rocks, right? So we're going to look at them under a microscope, which is the easiest and fastest way if you're a geologist. Um, But you can do a lot of this with your eyeballs, too, and especially with your hands, because how it feels will give you a really good idea of what the cement type is. And this one is the strongest one. Right. Yeah. So this is 
I mean, you've got a pretty hard thing. You know, Moe's hardness six. Mm-hmm. And like bonding to like works pretty well. In fact, generally you see an overgrowth uh, on the grains of this cement. Mm-hmm. So it's bonded very, very tightly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I will say this is kind of like the mashed potatoes with white gravy, like plain, <laughs> plain sand. The most boring sandstone you could imagine. But that doesn't mean it's not a good one, and there's a lot of it. Yes, correct. Um, so it would be like what we would describe as a clean sand. I, that's a ridiculous term, but if you say that to a geologist, they'll be like, oh, yeah, they're imagining a subarcose or quartzarenite sandstone with quartz cement. Because, like John said, those the pieces of the cement, they come from, they can come from other quartz grains around there. And whatever is flowing through there, whatever water is flowing through there, can dissolve some of the quartz. I'm just going to say the word upstream, even though that's not necessarily what I mean. And um, we'll deposit it, you know, further downstream. And so it's just quartz glued together with quartz. When you're talking about identifying this without a microscope, it's really hard. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, that's the deal. This one's really hard. You're not going to be able to pick individual little sand grains out of a quartz-cemented sandstone very easily. And so mostly, if you see any type of sandstones in building materials, this is what you're going to see. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're real hard to hit with a hammer. Like, they're going to be really tough. Um, <laughs> I remember one of um in one of my research areas, I had this quartz cemented sandstone and it was, it was harder than the granite that we were drilling. And I know that my field assistant at the time just thought I was getting tired and was like, here, I can drill it. And he couldn't even drill half an inch into that rock. That was my husband, by the way, <laughs> that was my field assistant. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Quartz cemented sandstones are really hard. When you look at them, that quartz is going to look just like that quartz that I described in there. It's going to be sort of milky or it could be really clear as well. So it's going to look a lot like the grains that are in there. And then you know you got quartz cement. Right. And you would generally find this, well, places where there's a lot of quartz and not (laughs) much else. So... You know, beaches, bars, dunes, places where it's sandy. Yeah. And places where there's a lot of energy to separate the the wheat from the chaff, if you will, and to make all of the little light stuff go away Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. get you this clean sand. Exactly right. Yep. Clean sand is definitely what we would say in terms of beach sand or marine bars or something like that. Yep. Yeah. If you go, you know, go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a bag of playground sand Mm -hmm. and wait a hundred thousand years. Yeah. And then you got it. Water it a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And you're good. That bottom crust will probably form in a hundred thousand years. Tiny little sandstone. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So what's next? (laughs) All right. So, well, the other, (laughs) the the other main thing that I remember from said pet Mm. is there's quartz and there's calcite. <laughs> so this is the tricky, tricky one. 
Um, <laughs> when you cement all these pieces of quartz together with calcite, and how do we tell calcite? Like, what's the first thing you do when you think you have calcite? What do you put on that rock? You put acid on it. And what happens? It fizzes. So what happens when this plastic sandstone has calcite cement and you put acid on it? It doesn't fizz. No, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it does fizz and everyone says, oh, it's a limestone. And you're like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> because cement doesn't matter when we're classifying rocks, plastic rocks. Now, I, I, I'll qualify that by saying it does not fizz as vigorously. Okay. Because put, you might have to powder it a little bit. Put yourself into your said pet self, not yourself now. <laughs> okay. And you drop some acid on this calcite cemented sandstone. What are you going to write initially that that is? You're going to write that it's carbonate rock. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Most students do that. <laughs> But you're right. It doesn't fizz as much because there's still a lot of quartz in there, right? Um, but you Actually, being a geophysicist, I would have just classified it as not granite. Of course you would have. <laughs> <laughs> and you would have been correct. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having more than one conversation like that in, in lab. Of, oh, my well, gosh. Well, I'm not incorrect. <laughs> exactly. Uh, not what we're looking for, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, you've got this calcite cement. Calcite cement, it's it's <laughs> porous. It's not. It's gappy. Yes, because it, well, yes, that's exactly right. So that's also sort of why it won't fizz as much too. It's just because it's going to soak in that acid. That you're putting on it. So you're not going to see all the reaction on the surface like you do on most limestones, too. So, mm -hmm, exactly right. And yeah, so it is trickier to identify. It is. And and like I said, it, it totally quartz and calcite. Well, if you've got calcite, you've got a carbonate rock. Well, not in this case. Not if it's cementing together a sandstone. Um, so... It's also not nearly as strong. You won't find calcite cemented sandstones as building materials. No, mainly because uh, <laughs> rain. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> rain is acidic. Uh, rain, acid rain, yeah. Mm -hmm. Rain is acidic. Rain near big metropolitan areas is very acidic. And so, yeah, that would crumble. I mean, we use limestone as well as a building material, but this would crumble out in big chunks and that would not be good. Um, so calcite cemented sandstones are going to be much easier to break apart than a silica cement. And if you're only identifying this with your eyeballs and not with acid or under a microscope, that may be one of the only like sort of ways you can tell it apart um, is that a silica cemented sandstone is going to be sort of more solid and a calcite cemented sandstone might be more gappy, and you can probably break it apart with your hand. But the calcite is still going to be clear, much like the quartz would be. Right. So, yeah. Very porous, pretty soft. 
in terms of environment, I mean, you're going to find calcite cemented sandstones are also going to be in marine environments, but they're probably not going to be in these high, higher energy environments. So maybe sands that are a little more offshore. Um, you can get a lot of surficial calcite over sands, like in deserts and everything, because you can get calcite formation in sort of arid type environments like that. So you may see some weird carbonate and that comes from calcium in desert soils and arid soils. So you'll see that too. But again, the same thing all of those have in common is that it's much easier to break. It's much softer. Yeah. I mean, how much of an overgeneralization would it be to say that the calcite cemented stones are generally deep marine? It's almost too much of one. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I mean, you're 75% right. Yeah, low energy, I'm thinking mostly deep. Yes. Generally, we said, you know, it's marine, not not desert, though. There's always exceptions. Right. But that'd probably be my first guess. Yeah. Way. I would say 75 to 85%. That would be a great guess. I would always go with that guess. The, yeah, the reasons are... After the sun and volcanoes. Ha <laughs> ah, ah. Heat and gravity. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's a very good... And, and the key there is low energy. That's the key. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, that's good. Still still classified with folk as the same sort of thing. But, uh, yeah. I think around here, too, especially central Oklahoma, this next one is the one that you're going to see a whole lot <laughs> cementing sandstones together. Right. <laughs> is it... Uh... Reddish? Definitely reddish, yes. Sometimes pinkish, sometimes a little yellowish. But yeah, iron oxides. Yeah, or, I mean, I guess more specifically hematite, but not always. Right. Um, so the ones you're going to see the most are hematite and limonite. Um, and so the differences between these things... Um, is limonite is more yellow. Hematite is more red, which, all right, don't send hate mail about, you shouldn't always use color, but really that's it. <laughs> um, and so a hematite is Fe2O3. Mm -hmm. And then limonite is sort of the oxidized version of this, like the hydrated iron. So it's like FeOOH basically. So in a way, you have hematite and magnetite and limonite. Those are the three iron ores. You don't really see magnetite cemented sandstones, but you definitely see these hematite. <laughs> that would be awesome. It would be amazing <laughs> and super heavy. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you see limonite. Lim <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Limonite very frequently and hematite. Um, it, this iron ore is all over the place here in central Oklahoma. It's where we get our red dirt, right, is that we have all this hematite in our soil. And it's hematite in the soil. We also have rivers. We also, you know, mix all that stuff together in the sand and then we're going to glue that sand together with these iron oxides. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you can... Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, and one of the cool things about these is they're not... They're not as strong as quartz, but they're not nearly as weak as calcite. And as they uh, age, they, they get relatively strong. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, mean, I, would, I would say probably more so than the other cements. I, I think a lot of the others are very stable. <laughs> like, yes. You know, a quartz cement is it's pretty strong when it gets cemented and it stays pretty strong. Uh, but as these sit out, especially in the drier climates, they can get very strong. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. Um, so there are some super, and we found some of these, which is also sort of what inspired this is that we have these amazing sandstones and they just look like these bumpy red blobs. And it's like, it's sandstone and it's cemented together with almost pure iron and it is just bright red. It looks nothing like a quartz cemented, quartz sandstone still the same thing it's still a you know a subarcos or a quartz aronite sandstone but it just happens to be stuck together with iron literally right mm-hmm. and i mean why this becomes a cement like how do you get this as a cement <laughs> and uh, so we've got quartz we've got calcite and then we have clays Right? So clay cement is a really big deal. It's just under a magnet, uh, under a microscope, it's just going to look like a brown mess in between the grains. Under a magnifying glass, it's also going to look like a brown mess in between the grains. And a lot of times these clays have these iron oxides in them too. And so frequently you'll get this clay cement, but you can also get a lot of hematite or limonite within that because as this sort of muddy sand is sitting around before it gets lithified, water's going through it and depositing these iron oxides in there. And so you can get a a varying degree of percentage of these iron oxides as your glue holding these rocks together. Yeah, and clay is not the most stable thing either. Mm-hmm. So eventually it will be gone after it's done whatever various kinds of uh, devious things it's going to do through <laughs> swelling or <laughs> yes. uh, things like deposition of hematite. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So lots of iron oxide cements. Um, it's just they're they're real weird because you brought up that whole like over time it can become harder and stronger. But if there's a lot more clay, it still looks red or yellow, but it deteriorates over time. And so talking about iron oxide cement, there's a big gambit of both what exactly is in it and how that rock behaves. So if it's super heavy and it's really red or really bright orange, you have almost a pure iron oxide cement and that rock is going to be ridiculously hard. But, right. yeah, <laughs> if you have, like, that was the piece that we pulled out. It was really cool because my TA was very excited because he's like, what is this cool thing? It weighs a ton. <laughs> um, but if you have a lot of clay cement, and that could just be brown. You, couldn't, you could have clays without a ton of iron oxides in them. 
Um, but it could also be reddish or yellowish. And that is probably even even gooier than the calcite cement. You can probably explode that pretty easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a um, we have an aquifer rock that's here at the surface in central Oklahoma, and it's called the Garber sandstone. And so this is um, it's a it's a very clean sandstone, <laughs> and it's really pretty. And it outcrops along. If you've been to Norman, if you've been out to Lake Thunderbird, this is all around the central part of Oklahoma, and it is one of my favorite rocks because it's. It's our aquifer, so it has a lot of porosity, and we have a whole show about aquifers too, but it's got clay cement in it sometimes, but there are places where you can hit this rock, and it will literally explode. You hit it with a rock hammer, and it just goes poof, and like sand grains fly everywhere, but there's so much pore space and just crappy clay in there. Yeah, it literally puffs out as you hit it, and it's so cool. It's true, and you have some other interesting uh, cements in the Garber as well. Oh, it's almost like I planned this as a segue. <laughs> and, you know, one of them uh, that I don't know of anywhere else you can find them, other than central Oklahoma, is the Bayrite Rose. Yes. Um, I think there's a place in Russia, but I think that's it. So... That's it. I, I have some sitting in my rock case. I'm staring at them right now that I picked up out at Lake Thunderbird. Excellent. Um, so, yeah. So you can get other weird minerals that act as cement. And here within the Garber, we get barite mineralization. And it causes our very hematite-rich sort of clayey coated sand grains to form these super cool roses. Like, they literally look like roses. <laughs> and obviously this is, you know, our Oklahoma State rock is the rose rock. And you can look up rose rock or desert roses. I mean, they occur in other places, but they don't occur with barite most places. Like the Wikipedia for this has a Cleveland County, Oklahoma barite rose on it. Right. Um, yeah. And so barite is a really weird thing. There's some weird mineralization in the Garber. Um, that unit is capped by a shale, and so you got you get a lot of really strange, long-lived parts of the aquifer, and you pick up a lot of a lot of weird cations like barite. So that's where this stuff comes from. You can do this with selenite too, but it's not as pretty. Um, yeah. Yeah, and even weirder minerals, like, you know, things that we normally think of as almost hydrothermal, like pyrite, have been known to mm-hmm. serve as cement as well. Right, and that doesn't last long. Pyrite will actually turn into limonite or hematite over time. So if you got a really cool pyrite, it's probably just made it up to the surface because if that gets left out at the surface, it's going to succumb fairly quickly to chemical weathering, which is probably what happens in a lot of these clay cemented sandstones is that maybe they could have had some weird cement, but over time, I mean, clay's kind of a, gosh, don't let Dr. Andy Madden hear me. Like it's kind of a trash can mineral logical suite, right? 
Oh, no, he's probably listening to this, and I'm going to hear it tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) Uh, We're going to make that the show title, too. Chloe is kind of a trash can. (laughs) But it is. You can put a lot of stuff in there. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and it, you know, lots of things decay into what we would just call clays. Um, So, yeah. So you could get some other weird cements, but they probably wind up being clays in the end. Mm -hmm. Right. And... You know, you actually, you mentioned uh, selenite and, you know, and the same same thing, gypsum. Uh, you've got some cool gypsum things happening in Oklahoma, too, but they're not really cement. I actually think we should talk about those in a future show, though. Uh, we absolutely should. Um, they do have to do with sand, though. Um, and actually, I just went there for the first time. So we can talk all about, about selenite crystals and hourglass crystals. Um, if you've been to Jet, Oklahoma, at the the park up there you're right we should absolutely talk about that but that deserves its own show i've always wanted to go there so maybe i need to uh hop in the plane and fly out there and uh, we can do you, a live show we absolutely should um well we won't do a live show because it's well, so on-site hot. show yeah <laughs> it's so hot we'll be in the car <laughs> um it is so neat um we we went out there for um i do some filming for for this sort of school curriculum program about rocks. And we went out and dug up all these selenite crystals and it was so much fun. So I can't wait to go back. Awesome. Yeah, Mm -hmm. let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could talk a whole show about rose rocks too, but you should just look up, look them up now since we're talking about cements and then we'll, we'll discuss those in greater detail too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So If you're picking up a sandstone, know that its classification is all the same, but it can have a very wide range of physical, optical, chemical properties, even though it's still classified as the same rock. And a lot of that has to do with the cement that's holding the rock together. Exactly. Something that has always blown my mind is that we ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) You and every other student that gets really mad on their first five labs. (laughs) Yep. So, yeah. No, I think with that, uh, I think it's a pretty good summary of cements in sedimentary rocks. And uh, now time for something entirely different. (laughs) (laughs) On this week's... Fun Paper Friday. Yay. This is so cool. And it's totally made me think that I need to frequent the Journal of Fluid Dynamics much more. As does listener Daryl. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so thank you, uh, co-host Daryl, uh, for another another great Fun Paper suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is Wave Riding and Wave Passing by Ducklings and Formation Swimming by Jan et al. Do you love that, like, this journal of fluid mechanics has, like, a, a little tornado, a little water spout looking? <laughs> yeah. Like, basically, water going down the drain. There's a little picture of it in the top of the, the article. It's awesome. Well, I also appreciate that their logo is you know the it's just the j and the m and dark and the f is yeah. made from the negative space in the logo it's one of those cool 
super cool. Modern logos. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, I got lost on that for quite some time. Um, I love this stuff so much, and I spend a lot of time. My daughter loves to go watch the ducks at the duck pond, but also I will say, and they didn't talk about this too much in here, I feel like if you would have talked to a lot of road cyclists, so I used to do a lot of road cycling, um, they would have told you this happens already. <laughs> they do mention cycling and they competitive did swimming bit. in here, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. The point is... No, I definitely remember when somebody told me that, you know, the cyclists, oh, they're drafting off each other, and I went, <laughs> I, I will tell my drafting story here in a second. <laughs> oh i can't wait oh well or just tell it now so clearly this is what this is about right so mama duck swims and baby duck swim behind her but there's some awesome fluid dynamics that happens with the interference right of the actual duck and the water interface that causes at a certain point it actually, those waves interfere in a manner that propels the little ducklings forward, therefore saving a lot of energy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this happens in cycling. Um, my friend and I have done several like cross-state like cross cycling, like week-long cycling fiestas. And <laughs> in our infinite wisdom... We were like, man, we're going to try this because we were getting passed by these people just trucking. And, you know, they'd switch. The guy in the back would come up to the front and then this line of cyclists and they would be inches apart. So their front tire and then the rear tire of the person in front of them was inches apart. But we never saw any of them crash and they always were just trucking it down the road. And we're like, okay, we can do this. We're going to do this. Oh my lord. <laughs> so we do it and we've decided that the most safe configuration for us is my friend in the front and I'll be in the back. And all I'm looking at is her back tire. I don't look anywhere else than her back tire. All right. And all of a sudden and we're going and like it works. There's a point that I get to that I'm in a spot behind her that I can literally feel it become easier to to pedal. Like she is pulling me along. Coolest thing ever, right? So we finally got this, like, magical distance. It's amazing because I am not expending as much energy, I can tell. And then all of a sudden, it stops because she hits a crack that's running, like, parallel to the roadway. It's not across it. <laughs> it's running along it. And she goes out of control and I can't do anything. I'm an inch behind her. And so I hit it. And I heard people screaming because we were probably <laughs> it, we were probably going like 38, 39 miles an hour. And this happens. And these people are screaming. And we both pulled out of it. It was amazing. And we never drafted again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It was terrifying. But I totally get it. And it was really neat. And so this is the math that shows us why (laughs) right and so they ask some questions like well how does this work in water with ducks uh is there an advantage to ducklings being in front of or do they have to be in a single file line could they be spread around the periphery is this 
a wave spreads out from behind the, the mother duck. And they did uh, some pretty nice numerical models, though I will say super nonlinear color maps make it look like <laughs> these stripes of pressure instead of the sinusoidal pressure waves that they mm -hmm. really are. Yes, yeah, that was a disappointing feature, I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, so they did some numerical modeling, and they, in classic modeling form, said things like, well, all ducks are going to have equal drag on you know their legs while they're trying to swim because their legs are flopping around, uh, so we're going to neglect that. All ducks will have <laughs> the same feather effects because they all have the same type of feathers. We're going to neglect that, and it, it boiled down to modeling ducks as an oval. <laughs> I mean, have you seen them? It's, it seems like a legit assumption. They look like little ovals. Yeah. But so. I just got a good laugh out of it. Yep. <laughs> and also, like, how would you draw how would you draw that duck in his little overhead pressure wave map? <laughs> right. <laughs> Super easy to draw that oval. <laughs> so yeah, uh basically I discovered that there's this wave riding and wave passing effect and the wave riding is where the ducks get a kind of an over unity push not only mm -hmm. is their drag negated but they actually get a propulsive force yeah mm -hmm. that's not all the ducks though it's only about the first three yeah those <laughs> poor ducks at the end <laughs> yeah but you know poor ducks at the end the poor ducks at the end still get pretty much all of their drag eliminated for free. Mm -hmm. They get about a 100%. They just don't get a push. They have to make their own way. Right, which they do with those legs that we've negated. Um, how much do you love figure three, though? I love figure three. <laughs> <laughs> it's real good. So that shows the, you know, the cross-section of the ducks and the sinusoidal you know, waves that are affecting them. That's funny. <laughs> Yes, which shows that they really are sinusoidal in this drag reduction percentage, CDR. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're so really when ducks. <laughs> right. And so when it's up, when it's positive on the CDR axis, that is a uh, reduction in drag force, so smaller force required. And you'll see that it's over 100% for the first mm -hmm. few ducks. And then after that, it pretty much levels off at 100%. And interestingly enough... Mama Duck gets a very small drag reduction as well because she has ducks following her and they create a little bit of a bow shock that helps push yeah. her along. Yeah. Super so not cool. only does it save system energy for the following, but saves system energy overall. See, I'm going to go back and show this to my friend too. Cause she was always real mad about being in the lead. And I said, I'm sure that there are things that this helps you too. So <laughs> now I'm going to go prove to her with this duck model <laughs> you say well if you model you and i as ellipses exactly <laughs> in a frictionless half space i'm gonna say i'm definitely more of a circle seen from above <laughs> <laughs> well you're on a bike though okay all right you're right so my my long and short axes still approaching each other <laughs> so, aerodynamically you're an ellipse <laughs> excellent <laughs> uh, and then well figure four shows exactly uh this this kind of leveling off of the benefit 
and the very small benefit for Mama Duck in figure 4B. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. This is fantastic. Yeah, they spent quite a bit of time on these figures. I really wish that they would have used a decent color map, though. Yeah, that's very, very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Also, this the amount of chartreuse in the figures on this paper hurts. It's blinding. <laughs> It is blinding. Yeah, we could have done a little bit better there. But it's really great. Like, I love these these model output. It's real cool. Yeah, and this is one place where I'm very curious. I would love to know from somebody that knows a lot more about this than I do. Uh, they say, well, one of the applications could be, they call them sea trains. Like, have cargo ships mm-hmm. line up behind each other like this. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean... my. My thought is if you tell a bunch of ship captains that you're going to get their many hundreds of thousands of tons ships to follow each other at very close <laughs> distance while they take tens of miles to stop, they're going to tell you you're insane. <laughs> but like those big, um, I've never been to Australia, but I know we have some Australian listeners, hopefully we still do, uh, where they have the big cargo, you know, the big semi trucks that go by in these huge trains. I mean, that's not right. the same as a... Massive it's not the same vessel. as a ship that takes 30 miles to stop. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, that means they all take 30 miles to stop. It's okay. <laughs> 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 and this is why I'm not in logistics. <laughs> it just seemed like one of those statements where a, uh, a purely numerical <laughs> person was like, and we could do this. Exactly. And then you look at it from the practical side and you're like, but... It, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I could be very wrong. I would love to hear somebody who yes. actually has experience captaining large ships. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to come on the podcast and tell us about that, I'd love to hear more. Oh my gosh, that one might be an eighteen-parter if you're allowed to run it, John. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, this was um, this was super cool, and I feel like this was actually a very accessible paper to read. Even though it's in fluid dynamics, and it's a very scary class, I thought this was a really well-written paper. Yeah, and though there is a lot of complex uh, FEM modeling going on in here, mm-hmm. there's only one equation in the whole paper. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 1 minus R over RS times 100% for ah. the drag reduction coefficient. Ah, ah, yep. Got that. That seems totally doable. <laughs> and also, there is a, a picture of ducks. Or, well, actually, as a goose and goslings. Yes, a goose and goslings. But I do appreciate the hand-drawn ducks in some of the figures. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is a great paper. I loved it. This was hilarious. Keep them coming, Daryl, because the one I picked out was not nearly as cool as this one. (laughs) Uh, No, it was not. (laughs) Well, if you've got information on ducks... Goose, goslings, uh, <laughs> geese, <laughs> geese. There we go. Any, <laughs> any animal or any mechanical contrivance, you know, ships, land trains, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. How they go together to reduce the overall energy required by the system in <laughs> such a way. We would love to see that data accompanied by your complete FEM analysis. <laughs> And uh, preferably including the ComSol code that you use to do that. Uh, Shannon, how can folks send that in? 
<laughs> please send us to send that to us. Uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I am at Shannon Doolin. We hang out in the Slack chat room sometimes on the Software Underground Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us in these duck-related um, fun papers. <laughs> you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.